0: Comics, movies, music, video games, technology,
1: Blu-ray, television.
2: This is the HHW Podcast Network.
3: And together from remote galaxies are the most sinister villains of all time legion of
4: dudes dude his dudeness duder el duderino dude. dude
3: dedicated to a single objective the conquest of the universe
0: it's the legion of dudes podcast and now here's the dudes
2: Welcome, everyone, to the Legion of Dudes podcast. This is episode 218, our November BS show and Austin Comic-Con wrap-up. This is Russ, and joining with me tonight are John, Jim, and Jordan. Evening.
3: Enjoying our last 12 hours of electricity. Sandy
1: is about to kill us all.
3: Kick us in the crotch.
0: And uh, she came dressed as the Frankenstorm for Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. Who would have thought that the guy from Texas would not be the one talking about the hurricane barreling towards them?
3: I love the uh, the weather people. You know, they know that they've screwed up and been wrong so many times. And their tone is just like, listen, you got to believe us this time. <laughs> we mean it. But, uh, it sounds pretty
0: bad. Pretty bad
2: yeah hopefully it uh it doesn't hit you guys too hard hopefully everybody's everybody's safe and sound
0: and hopefully before the power went out you uh charged up your m p three player your ipad or or um your iPod so you could listen to Legion of dudes
2: indeed
3: if we can only get it posted before our power goes out
2: yeah so who wants to go first
3: I think we should probably start with Iron Man three that was the big news and uh Everybody was very excited to see the Iron Man 3 trailer, oh, yeah. I would say. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, first there was the teaser trailer to the trailer. Yes. If you remember, it was like five seconds that, of the trailer. That's like a thing now. Yeah, you get a trailer of a trailer.
3: <laughs> we have definitely announced that we're going to have an announcement before, so I can totally see what they're going for.
0: So, Iron Man 3, uh, you know, Stark Mansion in ruins. You know, all the suits blown up. We see a lot of things pointing to the extremist storyline, you know, with, uh, you know, him being able to summon the parts of the armor without all the machinery to put it on him. Um, you know, all these different things. And, of course, Ben Kingsley as the Mandarin for the first time we've seen him. What did you guys think? Are you are you psyched? Do you think it's just, you know, it just reminds you too many other things? Or
2: You know, it's funny. It was a two-minute and five-second trailer, and I don't feel like I really saw that much.
0: There were a lot of a lot of quick cuts, even for a trailer. Yeah, like this.
2: and I think a lot of it is. I mean, we're still six months away from seven months away from the movie itself. I imagine there's a ton of effects work, a ton of digital work that isn't done yet. So this is, pro- you know, we're, we saw what we saw was a lot of either practical or early digital stuff that was done. Um, I, I do. I, I mean, I, I definitely like what I saw. It, it, I think the tone of this one feels. Very different than the other two, which I think is good. Um, I think if it was more of the same, I think it would just get a little tired. I like the fact er- that we hear early on in the trailer that Avengers has some consequences. I mean, he, he says, you know, straight up, you know, nothing is the same since New York. And I, I really like the fact that some of the complaints about Iron Man 2 were, and, and I didn't feel this way, but some people felt this way, that it was beating you over the head with the, greater Marvel universe stuff. And I know that I've heard they're toning that back, but I like that. They're still acknowledging that this has a, that event has affected Tony in a big way. And, and just, again, the next step in the evolution of the way his armor works, the way he's dealing with the fact that he has this thing in his chest, his relationship to pepper, um, you know, the, the, you know, we saw the mansion. I I like the, I was really, really worried about Ben Kingsley, um, as the Mandarin or the Mandarin as the villain. Um, and so far I, th- I thought it was kind of an interesting choice. I think his his uh his monologue that he had on there sounded very kind of creepy, almost banish but but it, you know I, i'm I'm pretty psyched about what I see. I mean you know the the way it ended with him walking in the snow, you know dragging his armor behind him was uh was pretty cool.
3: Yeah, I liked pretty much all of of what I saw. um I am a huge fan of Iron Man too, actually. Um, I probably like Iron Man two more than a lot of the other Marvel movies, so I was really happy. I, I thought it had a lot of good looking stuff in it. Um, probably the only place I disagree is the Mandarin. I did like the voiceover. Uh, I did like the monologue, but I do not like the look. I think they're trying to not be Asian, which I totally understand. But yet the haircut has like the you know the ponytail in the back, which is very. Sort of Asian culture, and the beard just looks off. And it might be because we know Ben Kingsley so well that it's the you know it's the daredevil Ben Ben Affleck that we always talk about. Like it's not the Mandarin; it's Ben Kingsley with a fake beard on. You know you know what I mean? Like maybe if it was an unknown yeah. actor, you could buy it more easily.
0: Well, I thought sure with all the uh, the allusions to the Ten Rings in Iron Man One. Uh, that that same actor who was the, the head of the uh, the terrorists in that group would end up being the Mandarin. And I can't remember the actor's name. He was also the captain of the the USS Kelvin at the beginning of the J.J. Abrams uh, Star Trek reboot. Um, and I wish I, I had his name in front of me. I'll look it up on IMDb really quick. But I thought originally he was going to be the Mandarin. I don't know what, what direction they're going with Kingsley, but I think it's going to be like... I mean, obviously we're not going to get the guy in the green flowing robes and the evil Asian... Uh, you know, calling people round eyes with ten you know magic rings or whatever—we're not getting that. But it'll be interesting to see what the interpretation is. I think of, of the Mandarin for this modern movie, and I do—I I agree with Russ. I like that there are implications and ramifications from the aftermath of Avengers. I mean, people died in that that um, attack on New York. It would be, you know, uh, definitely weigh heavily on Tony Stark, you know, and and definitely have that effect on him. But I definitely got, and I know um, John, you did too. You mentioned it uh, earlier, um, like a uh, Dark Knight. Rise's vibe uh, from this trailer, you know, ha- him having everything torn down around him um, so he can rebuild himself again, you know?
3: Yeah. yeah. Do you, is there any confirmation that they're actually calling this character the Mandarin? I, I know that it is the Mandarin, but I don't see how it could not be Asian and be called the the Mandarin. <laughs>
2: I, I don't. I don't know that I've actually heard anything official from Marvel that has called him that, but I think it's one of those things that it's it's perpetuated enough from enough sources that that's confirmed. And I think, you know, I, I just think a lot of it is, you know, and, and people have different opinions on that. I've read something on CBR that had some um, some comic creators that were of, of Asian descent, Marjorie Liu being one of them, and, you know, they kind of talked about how they felt about The portrayal of the typical, you know, um, you know, almost like Fu Manchu kind of style Mandarin, which, you know, that's kind of where that, that came from in the comics. The, you know, the, the long fingernails, the, you know, the, 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 you know, the big long beard and the green robes, like we mentioned. So it's, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough spot for, for Marvel, right? Because if you're too true to the comics, then it comes off as being highly racist. And if you're too, if you go too far away from it, then it's like, well, you know, why did you call him the Mandarin and why, you know, why not just create something new or or, or or take a different take. So it's it's a, Marvel's in a tough spot with this with this character.
0: Well, look at the interpretation of Bane in uh, Dark Knight Rises. Uh, to mention it again, I guess. I mean, in the comic, he's addicted to Venom and he's uh, very much bulked up and, and huge and everything. In the Dark Knight Rises, he had the ma- I mean, it was a totally different interpretation of the character. I could totally see them doing something like that with the Mandarin. You know, him being the Mandarin in name only, and and you know a few you know stylistic things in common, but you know actually having it be a much different character.
3: Right, and and they did that with uh, Ivan Denko. Right, they combined right, characters right. and good changed example. the whole. It was Whiplash, but it wasn't Whiplash, and it had Crim- Crimson Dynamo elements. And, and they
1: also made an effort not to make him a, a rich stereotype. I mean, not only was he sympathetic in many ways, um, you know, his his downfall or his downfall before the movie even started became because of the Cold War and because of what Tony's father had done, but it. It was also, he was just a sympathetic character. He had his bird, and he just wanted revenge. He wasn't there to be a racial stereotype. And I think there there's a way to do Mandarin, which is probably the way they're trying to do it, that isn't going to offend anyone, but can also be a cool villain.
2: And I think, and I have no confirmation of this, but I think the other thing they might be trying to go with is that the Mandarin is a multiracial character You know, that's not just from the... I, I guess the, the eastern half of Asia, you know, the, the, you know, China, Korea, Japan, that, you know, that area, but, you know, a mix of, you know, maybe Indo-Chinese, you know, where he's, you know, has that mixed heritage, which Kingsley can do, because obviously he's of mixed heritage being, you know, half Indian and half, um, you know, half, you know, uh, British. Uh, so I, you know, I think maybe that kind of plays into it as well. So, and plus it was just one, like one shot. Two, so we don't know like you know wh- when it all starts playing out on screen you know A how much screen time is he really going to have and B you know are they going to tweak his look a little bit was that just like an early shot you know or you know they haven't cleaned up footage or you know who knows plus what? we
1: know from the first two movies that he's involved with terrorist rings all over the world of all different ethnicities so he's not a uh, he, he doesn't have one mindset in terms of I work with these people against these other people he's he's on his own team here
2: the the one thing that bugged me, and I don't know if you guys thought this too, and I get the whole Mandarin has ten rings thing. They've set up this tent, the ten rings as a terrorist organization. Those rings really bugged me. I thought they were just way too over the top. Like when he
3: put they his They look hands- like the lantern rings that you got when you bought the Green Lantern comics. Exactly, exactly.
0: They could make that cool though, and like have each one of those symbolize one of his, you know, terrorist or, uh, wings or whatever, and just. I don't know. At least it's not going to be like magical powers. I think it'd be way over the top.
3: Did you guys catch the screenshots of the tattoo on the back of his neck?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was. It How was the cap shield well, with the A on it. Everybody yeah.
1: seems to be saying it's the Avengers A. And granted, maybe I just didn't see as good of a picture as everyone else did. I thought it was. That's what I, I thought, thought it was too. Anarchy. I thought it was like you know you think your Avengers are going to uh, save you. I'm going to turn that on its head.
3: Right, but it's clearly the Captain America shield. (laughs) That's. It also looks like it could be an old
1: tattoo, like it's faded enough that you know maybe he got this as a boy where he thought America was his friend, and then something happened in his childhood, and now he's turned that on his head. Um, uh, One thing I thought from watching the trailer that uh, you know this is just something that kind of raises question marks for me is all right, Iron Man One, Iron Man Two, he's fighting different people, and fine. But after Avengers, once this whole team has come together, once you have all these different super-powered and otherwise, you know, just super-characters around, they're going to have to work really hard, and not just in this movie, but particularly in this movie because of how big it is. You've got houses sliding into the sea and jets bombing places. You're going to have to work really hard to explain, where is Captain America in this? Where is Thor in this? Why is no one else coming to help? And I just hope that it doesn't become too much of a oh yeah caps on vacation this week you'll have to handle it yourself type thing as they go from movie to movie
3: and you know what it it is different in the movies i think jordan i think you're 100 right but the funny thing is we've been dealing with that in comics for right right yeah. it's like where are they when iron man's fighting solo in his solo but fight? i mean
1: i guess in that case but you know and, and granted this is splitting hairs but in that case we we understand that Hey, Cap's in seven different other books right now fighting seven other different villains. Whereas with the movies, yeah, the next Cap movie doesn't come out for, you know, six months, eight months, another year. It we don't have an impression yet that these guys are every other week fighting a different villain. Unless that's something they add in this movie, who knows?
2: Yeah, one of the things I, I could say with that is I think this attack, kinda like in in Iron Man 2, seems personal. You directed at Tony specifically and his technology and so you know again when you start looking at the greater Avengers it's it seems like you know what would it take to pull one or two or more of them together is like a global threat or you know something beyond uh, something that's contained and it, the, you know just based on the trailer having no other knowledge it looks like this is the Mandarin is definitely going after Tony specifically um, and, and you know I'm sure what's happened in the other two movies are going to come come to bear um in that but i get what you're saying
3: do you guys know the status of uh robert downey jr's deal is is this movie his last that he has to do or is avengers 2 bundled into that as well
2: my understanding is i think this is his last iron man movie i don't know if they got separate deals for Avengers. Like I don't know if when he signed on to Avengers it, he signed a two-picture or three-picture deal for that, but I believe that he just signed a three-picture deal for Avengers. I don't think he at that point like like Sam Jackson or Chris Evans where they signed these, you know, eight or nine picture deals. So it's conceivable that y- this would be the last Robert Downey Jr. Avengers or uh, Iron Man movie and possibly, you know, Avengers 2 may be the last time we see him in the armor. Interesting. I like the War Machine bit, the the Iron Patriot yeah. thing. That was that was badass.
3: Yeah, that's a good way to bring the Iron Patriot into the fold. That'll sell a lot of toys and costumes and stuff. So. Oh
2: yeah. And it gets them out of the situation where um, it, it's a bad guy behind the mask, like they have in the comics. So, uh, yeah, it definitely works.
0: Well, speaking of Iron Man or um, Avengers Two, as you were, uh, Russ we got some news just recently that Warner's uh, Warner Brothers is going to launch a Justice League movie the same summer as Avengers 2 uh 2015 like counter programming uh do you guys think it's a good idea bad idea is is, is man is man of steel going to be their gateway into a Justice League movie are they just gonna go straight into Justice League without establishing any of the characters on their own? I mean, I know we talked about how, you know, Green Lantern was supposed to be their Iron Man and it kind of just collapsed in on itself. But, you know, they are you know, they said publicly they're going into production for a Justice League movie for the same summer as the release of Avengers two.
3: I think it's a really bad idea to skip A through Y and go right to Z. You know what I mean? Like we, The only reason that Avengers was pulled off so well is because we knew all the main players already. You didn't have to go through Origin and who's this guy and what's his characterization. They just went. And for them to not do any solo movies and try to pull off the Justice League, I I just can't see it. It's going to be like Spider-Man 3. There's going to be all sorts of people running in and out. You're not going to know their deal and stuff. I I don't know. I think
1: that issue aside, and that is a very important issue, John, the issue of it just going up against Avengers 2, regardless of what setup they've done, I think there's actually a chance it could work for them doing that way. I mean, I think Avengers 2 is going to do gangbusters at the box office. Um, Who knows what they'll do as well as the first one, but the first one is the number three movie of all time. So, you know, even if it does half of that, it'll still be, uh, I think I heard in the top 10. So that'll still be great. But with Justice League, I think there's a chance if they rely on the fact that you know American moviegoers are fickle. If American moviegoers go, "Oh, we've already seen Avengers but Justice League that's new, let's go check that out." They could score a win there.
3: And I think I mean obviously they're going to have a Batman. So, you know, I think it'll benefit just from that alone and I don't think you have to retell any kind of Batman origin and Superman will sort of be built in as well.
0: Yeah, I don't think there's any way they can fit. I mean, even if they skip the Batman and the Superman origin stories, uh, just because, you know, I mean, everybody knows them or whatever, I don't think there's any way they're going to be able to fit in five other origin stories of, like, the Magnificent Seven traditional Justice League characters, you know. I mean, they could probably skip Green Lantern even, because he had his own movie. But, I mean, how are you going to fit in four origin stories, plus, the, you know, bringing them together and everything? It just seems... Incredibly uh, cluttered, you know I guess you know nobody ever did what the Marvel movies did as far as like setting up an established universe movie by movie by movie and then paying off with Avengers you know as handsomely as it did, and for them to just you know come to try to you know pull a Justice League movie together out of whole cloth like this, I really don't think they're going to be able to do origin stories if they want to even have any kind of uh, you know justice League story at all in their movie.
2: I, yeah, I think the only way this works is you, you completely skip that, that aspect of it. You just, you know, the, the one benefit to there being so many Batman movies in the last 20 years is everybody knows the origin of Batman inside and out, upside down and sideways. You don't need to do that again. Everybody gets it. With Superman, same deal. I mean, the guy's been around for 75 years. He's probably the most recognizable superhero on the planet. So I don't, you know, being that the Man of Steel will come out in 2013, it gives them breathing room to not have to worry about that for a Justice League movie. Green Lantern is recent enough, and his origin, I think, is simple enough that you don't need to belabor that. I think the only way this works is you just started off with either the world knows about these heroes or something happens and they, they just come, you know, they just come together. and Or it starts like in the middle, like they've always been together, they've been around for Sometime and they just, you know, something happens, um, that causes their next adventure and they just run with it. And then they just, they just do the reverse of Marvel. You know, Marvel led up to the Avengers. Maybe Warners is hoping, okay, we, we bring these characters in, we do one big movie, and then hopefully we figure out based on, you know, audience reaction or, you know, what we get in feedback, what works, and then they know from there where to branch out. Do they go, and do a flash movie or you know try again with green lantern or wonder woman or you know whatever the 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 fact may be i think the one problem they're going to have is if they put a superman movie out in 2013 well not if they are going to put a superman movie out in 2013 if they do a justice league movie in 2015 and they don't have the same character playing superman and they plan on carrying forward the superman franchise i think that's people are just going to be completely confused as to what the hell's going on I think part of why the Marvel stuff was so successful is the continuity, the fact that all of this stuff touched each other. That's the same characters flowing through all these movies. And I think if they try and have their cake and eat it too on the DC side with separate franchises and this you know, team picture franchise, I think that's not going to work quite as well. Because I think people are just going to not quite get it and not gel and not be invested in it like they are on the Marvel side.
0: I'm really interested to see what kind of threat they're going to be able to come up with that would justify the Justice League that would not be an alien invasion. Or else everybody and their brother is going to, oh, you just ripped off Avengers, blah, 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 blah. You know, I mean, I'm sure... Real be, estate <laughs> schemes. There you go. Yeah. Land.
2: If they go... I mean, think about it. If they go with Darkseid, that would be like the kiss of death because we know Thanos has already been introduced and he's going to be pre- conceptually the bad guy in Avengers 2. If Justice League does a Darkseid... Character, which is kind of the 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 DC analoger. Excuse me, I think it's it, actually the other way around. Darkside was first, and I think Thanos came later. But yeah. that's not going to matter. I mean, people are going to see what they see on screen first, and then and then deal with you know what comes later. And, and there's always going to be that comparison. So they really have to go a different direction. Um and and again, I think to John's point, they I think Luthor is going to be pretty tired at that point. I think if they bring Luthor in, even if it's not a real estate scam, uh I think that's going to be a tough sell.
3: Now, you don't feel the same way about uh, Batman having to have some continuity going into it? Like, I don't think they would ever be able to get Joseph Gordon-Levitt or uh, uh, Christian Bale, obviously. But you don't see any problem with them just showing up with a new Batman?
2: No, because I think...
0: Enough people have played... A lot of people have played Batman over the years. You know? I mean, a lot, if you think about it.
3: Right, but they they reboot it every time. They do the origin over every time.
0: Not really. Just I mean, there place. were two. Well, wait, there were two different actors in the Joel Schumacher movies, and that yeah, wasn't a reboot. True. And I mean, there are a lot of people who played Batman in the movies now.
2: I think the one thing that The Dark Knight Rises does is puts a cap on on that. I think people are aware that okay, that's done, and so when they start again, I think I, I think it, I think it'll be a, actually give them a good fresh start because I think it frees them up on the Batman Batman side to. Go back to a little bit of a lighter take to to free them up to do different things and not be so grounded like the there's the uh, Nolan stuff, and I you know I think I think they I think Batman will be a good springboard. I think Justice League would be a good springboard back into another separate Batman franchise. Whether that works for the other ones, I it's hard to say. Anything else in movies? Yeah, one thing. Couple, well actually two things. X-related not X-rated, X-related, but have you guys seen the stuff coming out that The the Wolverine is maybe not going to be a sequel, a direct sequel to, Wolver- to X-Men Origins Wolverine and or a direct prequel to X- X-Men, but that it's actually going to be set after X3 and that possible, uh, I guess, spoiler alert, uh, that <coughs> Vampka Jansen... Uh, has shot some stuff in Japan to or Australia, uh, to to weave into that movie.
3: But she did die in X three. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah, but she's so Jean. She, 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 she wait, but she's Jean Grey. I mean, Jean Grey never right. really dies. You know?
2: Well, and she could be a vision, a flashback, a hallucination. You know, I've you
1: heard know. actually two separate things. I've heard one that it takes place after X three, and I've heard one that it takes place completely outside of the. Otherwise existing X Men continuity, and I've heard both things from like the studio and, and the director. So I'm I'm actually very confused as to how this plays out.
3: And and I wonder how the Mark Miller joining the staff plays into this, if at all. I, it sounds like it was kind of late in the game for the Wolverine. Yeah, they're already shooting. That. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 But it's it's just funny how all of this new sort of developments came after the Miller announcement.
2: Yeah, they you know? should. I. I guess they started shooting this about two months ago, maybe. They're probably going to be wrapping somewhat soon, but uh, I, I think it's going to be interesting. I am I have a lot more hope. I, listen, I didn't dislike X-Men Origins Wolverine. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I mean, it had its issues at the end, but I think in general, it's, it, it was a good flick. I like Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. I think um, he brings something to that part. He loves that role, and it shows when he plays it. Um, but I, I have a lot more high hopes for this sequel, uh, you, you know, to, to this movie. So um, it ought to be interesting to see how it plays out. You, you know, just the whole fact that he's in Japan, there's going to be ninjas, you so know. And there's, yeah, ba- exactly. Are,
0: they're basing it on the Claremont Miller uh, uh, miniseries, I guess, loosely.
2: Yeah, that's, that's the word. And that's probably one of my that's, favorite
0: Wolverine stories of all time, so I'm really interested. And I was, unlike Russ, sorely disappointed by X-Men Origins Wolverine.
3: You had me at ninjas.
2: Yeah. Then the other news, I guess X-related news that we have, is that uh, Matthew Vaughn is going to be stepping away from X-Men Days of Future Past to do Super Crooks, which makes me happy that he's going to be doing Super Crooks because, like we talked about in a previous BS show, it, it's an awesome uh, four-issue miniseries. And to see that play out on a screen I think it would be pretty cool. And I think he, you know, as a co-creator of the property, I think he'll have the right touch for it. Um, but it looks like maybe that Brian Singer might be stepping back in to, to do the directing side and that, and that Ma, uh, Matthew Vaughn would take on producer. So it's almost like Singer and Vaughn are going to be switching places uh, for this one, which is fine. I mean, you know, like it or not, hate it, love it, whatever, Superman Returns was, you know, had its problems, but, uh, Singer's pretty highly regarded when it comes to X and, X-Men and then X X2. I mean, you know a lot of people consider X2 the, you know, best superhero movie of all time and if not the best then definitely like in the top 5 um and definitely top 10. So the fact that he would come back to it and and kind of bring his uh his vision back to that property. I'm really excited. And of course, that storyline is is you know like my favorite uh, you, you know, storyline of uh, you know in X Men history, the whole Days of Future Past thing, and you know the fact that they may bring Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen back in to either cameo or have a have a have a role in. I'm I'm really excited about this one.
0: I'm excited the Singer's coming back to the franchise. I, I loved what he did with the X Men, and I'm excited to to see this take. Although I thought Vaughn was great with First Class too. So
2: yeah, I think it's a win win.
0: I would just like to
3: mention that. Some of the stuff coming out, trailer wise, right now, is awesome, and I don't care. I, <laughs> I will not apologize. I love the new Die Hard trailer. <laughs> I yeah. love all of the news and stuff coming out with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's going to be like King Conan. He's coming back as an old Conan. Uh, he's doing that other movie Breacher, where he's got he's like a badass cop with like tattoos on his neck and stuff.
0: It's well, like it's like the '80s all over again. It like?
3: really is bullet bullet in the head with Stallone and yeah.
0: uh, Conan the Originarian,
3: Jason Momoa, and and there's uh, a good female lead in that too. I forget who it is right now. It's it's just amazing what I mean. Stallone has single handedly done this right. I mean, he came back out of the blue with a new Rocky and a new Rambo that were better than like any of the sequels before them, and then he pulls off two Expendables movies, and now you have, you know, Bruce Willis and Arnold returning to all this great glory, and I love it. You know why? I, I love it because they they don't take themselves too seriously anymore. Like, they're all littered with, like, old jokes, and, you know, it's a big wink to the genre and everything, and I just, it's been a blast. I can't wait to see all this stuff.
0: They know their audience, and uh, I'm really excited about the Expendables. Uh, project that's being worked now. I guess they got Katie Sackhoff and uh, Zoe Bell uh, so far for that. If they, I mean, that would be great.
3: Then there's another see Zoe Bell as official. I saw Gina Carano and... Uh, and uh, who you, who the hell
0: did you just mention? Katie Sackhoff.
3: Yes, yes. yes. I, I saw some tweets from Zoe Bell that uh, she was totally interested but had not heard. So maybe that was just a rumor unless I missed something, but, uh, yeah, that would be cool. The Tomb? I'll see that one. I'll I'll believe that one when I see it. I'm sorry, Russ, Good.
2: Yeah, no, I was just going to say The Tomb is another one, and that one has Schwarzenegger and Stallone again. Um, Also, Jesus is going to be in that movie, too, so. Um, And that's, like, uh, it's almost like his third attempt at, like, a prison break movie with Stallone, so. uh, Yeah. uh, Yeah, so, again, you know, it's just, it's hard to, you know again if if you're okay which obviously anybody that listens to this show knows that for most of us it's not a problem um to just turn your brain off and enjoy some just good fun um it's yeah there's just there's just a lot of good stuff coming
3: and we cannot forget the comic adaptation uh Parker coming to theaters starring Jason Statham
0: and let's not forget uh the movie that'll probably be out by the time you're listening to this uh Hurricane uh, Willing, The Man with the Iron Fists by uh, Eli Roth and RZA, produced by Quentin Tarantino with Lucy Liu and uh, Russell Crowe, and uh, RZA himself not only doing the soundtrack but also starring in the movie. It looks awesome. The trailers look great. I can't wait to see it.
3: Yeah, that looks better all the time. They had their premiere this week. I can't wait to get some buzz out of that.
0: And Tai Chi Zero, which just looks like the coolest and weirdest thing I've seen in a long time. It's like that weird ste- steampunk kung fu with like cartoon sound effects and narration, and it's just crazy. I mean, it looks great, though. I can't wait to see it.
3: Yeah, it did well enough uh, overseas that they've already started filming Tai Chi Hero, which is the sequel. So, comics, perhaps. Jordan, you
1: start. I have uh, a book came out this past Wednesday, which is both sad and happy because uh, it's the last issue of Jonathan Hickman's Fantastic Four slash FF run. Uh, two weeks ago, his, uh, his last issue of Fantastic Four came out, but the series, or his run on the series anyway, ends with FF23. And I got to say, look, I'm a crier. Everybody on my dad's and mom's side is a crier. But I don't know that I've ever cried while reading something, you know, unless it was, like, something at a funeral or something like that. But I tell you, I was reading issue 23, and I won't spoil it for anybody who hasn't read it, although you should definitely check out his entire run. There's a moment in that book where I got a little misty-eyed. Then there's a, you know, 10-page, really awesome, really fun sequence. And then there's another moment where I tell you, I lost it. And it wasn't, like, a normal, you know, build-up to, oh, man, and it was a happy cry. But it was... It was just like a, a switch flipped in my head, and I lost it. And I, If that was the only thing I'd gotten out of this series, it would be worth every single issue. But, I, I mean, this issue from start to end has been fantastic, and to end it as well as he did, I think this is going down in the books as my favorite run of any comic creator ever on, on a book. I mean, just absolutely incredible. Jim, I know you've read it as well. Uh, wh- what did you think of issue 23?
0: I thought it was like i thought he as i said uh, the other day uh, to, to, on to it on uh i'm sorry uh, as I said to someone the other day, I just thought he went out in such style. You know, I mean, a lot of really great runs are ending right now. you got the end of, uh, you know, Brubaker's Cap, which has been a, a really, you know, long and strong run. you got the end of X-Force, which I know Russ and John are, are big fans of, you know, and then the Marvel Now Shuffle and Reboot, you know. The end of Bendis' Avengers. I mean, how long has Bendis been writing Avengers? Um, but of all of them, I'm going to miss this one the most just because, I mean, Hickman really gets these characters like not a lot of writers do. And, and furthermore, he, he is able to write well for each of the characters in the story. You know, he, he really does, you know, I, I, it sounds like Ben Grimm when he talks, you know, the, the, um, the the comic right before this, is the last issue of Fantastic Four, where um, uh, Franklin and and Ben and Johnny are going out to the bar before Franklin has to go back. No, no, that was in this issue. that was in issue. Oh, was that? I, I read them. Yeah, all yeah. Right last issue once. of Fantastic
1: no, Four so. was uh, uh, the the book of Genesis through the eyes of Doctor Doom.
0: Right. Exactly. When he had his own universe. To yeah, play with. <laughs> which yeah. was awesome. Sorry. And yeah, that was great. That did if, not if anybody
1: away. wants to see what one of the Leviathans <laughs> from the Avengers movie looks like without armor, it's in this book.
0: If you want to see what Doctor Doom would be like if he were God, it's also in this <laughs> book. Um, but we're getting back to FF23 with Franklin making his goodbyes to everybody and just like closing out the, this, this long, incredible, well-written run by a writer who really gets these characters. And it's really, I put this up with like one of the, the best runs Marvel has published and probably one of the best, it's probably one of the best runs of FF that I can think of going back to John Byrne's run, um, which was also astounding and great. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm sorry to see him go. I mean, I'm sure he's going to do great things with Avengers, and it'll be awesome. But he just really had a real affinity for this characters in these book, this book, and he's kind of a big idea guy, you know, a big science fiction ideas, and those fit so well in the Fantastic Four. Oh, absolutely. Universe, um, I'm sure. So I just thought he was a perfect fit on this book, and I'm sorry to see him go. But but FF twenty three, as you said, is a, a great coda and a great. I mean, he just closed it off in style, you know, it's really...
1: And to echo what you're saying, Jim, not only is a big idea guy, lots of writers are big idea guys, and lots of them do it really well, although, I mean, him in particular did a great job, but like you were saying, where he really shines, at least for me, is in the characterization, and particularly the characterization of the children. It's so hard to write kids, let alone 12 different kids, make them distinct, make them fun, make them interesting, and he did it so well, and while these big ideas are absolutely fantastic, really fun to read, great visual spectacle for the artists um, who all, you know, across FF and Fantastic Four on his run have been great. While that's all awesome, what really hits me, and going back to, you know, crying at the end of this issue, was just the family moments. And for me, that's not something I normally care about in books or in movies or whatever. Occasionally, if it's done well, yes. But where he really hooked me was in just... The family aspect of this book, how much these characters really do love and care for each other, the, the, the lengths they're willing to go to help their family and friends, and the the spectacular dividends they reap from you know, putting their family before everything else. And I think that was just, if, if nothing else, that was where he absolutely, truly shined in a way I don't think I've ever read in any comic book ever. So, uh, I will miss him on Fantastic Four and FF, but I cannot wait for Avengers.
0: And it's funny because he did the most with two characters, Franklin and Valeria, that most writers had no idea what to do with. They became my favorite characters in
1: the entire book.
0: I know, they're awesome, they're great when Hickman has them, but, I mean, I couldn't think, as I was reading that, I could not think of another characterization of those two that, you know, that rang true and was really, you know, like you said, you know, kids talking and acting like kids, you know, in the FF book or whatever, which is kind of like an old, it was in a way a shout-out to, like, Power Pack. Well, some, some, of of the of the Power Power some of the Power
1: Pack members were even there. Really
0: right, exactly, Alex and stuff. But, um, I mean, I just, I, I, I'm right with you, I'm sorry to see him, yeah.
2: I am hoping for the inevitable two-volume omnibus to uh, collect that story, or if Marvel blows out a ninety-nine-cent digital on on that run, I might just you know kind of plop down, you know, forty, fifty bucks, whatever it is, in one shot and just get it that way. So it's kind of for me at this point, like whichever comes first, that's probably the way I'll get it, and probably won't you know get it both ways. But I'd, I'd really like something like that would be nice to just have and. You know, two big volumes on my shelf, especially since I have uh, at least now the volume one of the Burn FF Run. Um, so hopefully, we'll be getting more of that too. So I've I've read some of it. I've heard a lot of good. You know, obviously, you guys have spoken very highly of it. Um, so I hope at some point they'll they'll put it out in a format that'll be easy for me to grab up.
0: And something I want to say definitely, I would definitely recommend reading it from the beginning of his run all the way to the end of his run. Um, and rather than just, you know, a trade here and a trade there. Because, uh, I mean, a lot of writers now write in six-issue arcs for the trade, and Hickman really does not write like that on Fantastic Four. It is all, I mean, there are arcs within the story, but it's actually all one big story. And it was refreshing to see that as well, that kind of return to serial fiction as opposed to the constant writing for the trade that we've always seen recently.
1: And you, Russ, as a dad in particular, will love what he does with that family relationship.
2: Cool. Yeah, I like I said, I've read I read the beginning of it. I read probably the first I don't know, twelve or thirteen issues of that run. Um and so I'm looking forward to being able to uh to, to finish it off.
0: I'm busting to tell you guys about this website called Mike's Amazing World of Comics. Have you gone there? Have you checked that out?
2: No. No, I saw your link in the email but I haven't been there.
0: Basically what it is, you put in a month and a year going all the way back to the 1930s, up to the present day. And it will show you the cover of every comic book that came out that month. DC, Marvel, oh, wow. Charlton. I mean, it it's the entire history of comic books, uh, visual history of comic books and covers. All indexed. I mean, you can search by publisher, you can search by title, um the link that I included in the email uh, links to what they call the newsstand you just put in uh, a month and a year and it shows every comic that came out in that time it just was one of those things you find on the internet you can spend an infinite amount of time uh, looking at and checking out so if you google Mike's Amazing World of Comics you'll find it, it's a really cool site
3: I'm looking at my birth date right now, Bugs Bunny number 148
1: that explains so much
3: yes
0: it's like playing the ultimate game if I had that, you know. I had that.
3: <laughs> very cool. Wow, this is some database, huh?
2: Yeah, I'm very envious of it.
0: So, who read uh, Batman Thirteen? Anybody? Anyone? Anyone?
3: I, I did.
0: It's the uh, kickoff to that big Death of the Family crossover, I guess. And uh, I, if we want to get a little spo- can, if we can get a little spoilerish on it, is that okay? As long as I'm yeah, not sure. It's I've... been out for a couple weeks at this point. Yeah,
2: I haven't I haven't read it yet, but it's it, I'm fine with spoiling it.
0: Spoilers ahead. The Joker beats the crap out of Alfred <laughs> at the end of the issue. So I guess what's happening is like people in the Batman family tree, as it were, like in the periphery, are are under attack. And uh, it's Scott Snyder writing the Joker very well. By the way, I thought it was really interesting. And uh, it's just uh, you know the return of the Joker to the to the New 52, uh, with his you know his face strapped to his his head because uh, you know he, as you may or may not know I mean I've been reading Snyder and Capullo's Batman all along I know John has been following it too right um,
3: yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah
0: and uh, Joker cut his own face off and disappeared and now he's coming back and evidently he knows who Bruce is I mean he knows who Batman is because he shows up at Wayne Manor and starts um you know going uh full scale on uh, on alfred so
3: yeah i like the way they started it off with him uh sort of taking gordon's police station uh by storm cutting the power and snapping necks and when the lights come back on the face is gone and and uh the face has taken it they've used it well that inanimate object they uh I guess they cut it off of the Joker or he cut it off himself. No, the dollmaker cut it off of uh the Joker in Detective Number 1 after the New 52 and then uh Harley Quinn tried to get it back in in Suicide Squad for a while and it ended up back in Gordon's precinct and uh so it finally came full circle and the Joker gets it back here and yeah, he ends the last page with uh holding up a hammer over Alfred's head. So
0: I like the way Sky, Snyder is writing the Joker here, and it's a they use a different typeface for the Joker's uh, speech in this now, and there's this great scene where Batman confronts someone who's dressed as the Red Hood at the Ace Chemical Plant where the Joker, you know, was created his origin or whatever, and it turns out it's Harley, and there's a scene there um, where you know Batman is like, "Where is he?" and uh, and um, Harley says, "He's not my Mr. J anymore, bats." You know, he's, he's different. Something's happened to him. Something's changed. And it makes the Joker even more fearsome than he even normally would be, you know. I mean, the humor aspect is there, but the way Snyder is writing him is so, so dark and foreboding and full of fear. It's just really, uh, really effective. I really like it.
3: And the, the tone and the setup here is, is for Death of the Family is pretty much that, You know, Joker loves, in big quotes, Joker loves Batman, and there'd be no Batman without Joker, there'd be no Joker without Batman. And he's terribly angry and disappointed in Batman that he has let himself go soft because of his family.
0: And the Joker's Uh, absence, too.
3: Right, so he's going to take out everyone in Batman's family one by one.
0: And he makes fun of him, too, about the Court of Owls thing. It's like, oh, you have some owls in your belfry along with your bats. You know, it's just kind of this obtuse reference. So he's definitely been watching Batman this whole time and like planning his his plot, you know, I guess, to, to take out the Batman support team.
3: And I didn't read, um, I guess Batgirl also came out and this was tied in crossover stuff so i'm not sure if he gets to back Earl in that issue or if that's more of a setup or or how that's going to play out i haven't checked out all the crossovers yet but i'll definitely be keeping my eye on them
0: yeah i'm gonna I'm, i'll check out a few things too if it's going to be along you know the same lines along the same plot and you know, not just on the periphery like some of these crossovers can be i also really like the way snyder wrote gordon as being so afraid like you know gordon is a hard artist as nails commissioner you know, policeman. You know, lifetime policeman. But yet, this is the one thing that scares him because he knows what you know he did to Barbara.
3: I also read. Uh, it's kind of ties in here a little bit. I read the Talon number one. How's that? Um, it, it's kind. Of, it was pretty good. It's it's kind of interesting the way they're playing off the whole Court of Owls that they created. Basically, this guy was a Talon who managed to escape, and he's been off the grid for a number of years as he tries to stay. You know, obviously they're going to hunt him down at any costs, and he's managed to stay away from them and, and keep his distance and stay hidden. And when all of this news comes out that Batman has taken out the Court of Owls, he finds this as his opportunity to return uh, you know, and see if he can finish the job and sort of win his own life back. Uh, and he meets up with, as soon as he starts snooping around the hideouts of the of the court or where they used to be, uh, he trips some alarms and stuff and uh, an old, old member of the Court of Owls finds him and says, listen, they're not done. They're regrouping. And if we're going to take them out, because this, this older man, was working along the same lines. He used to be a member and now he's trying to get out and rid the, rid Gotham of the Court of Owls completely. So, sort of like a mentor character for the Talon. Uh, and, you know, they're going to work together to try to finish the job that Batman started before they get a chance to regroup. So, I could see it being a really cool first arc. I don't know where they'd go with the Talon after that. If he'd become like a regular DC superhero at that point. Um, you know, I don't I don't know how that would work, but I like that they're continuing the Batman story because I thought the Court of Owls was really cool and fresh and, you know, something different. So at least we get another arc of owl-related stories and we could see where that goes.
2: Interesting. It's almost like this round of Azrael, like if they if they could if they could have started over with the Azrael thing and do it a different way. It's like this is the way they would have done it because he's kind of like hard-edged character, you know, has you know, kind of the you know, big armored costume ties to Batman, all that, all that kind of stuff.
0: And it almost makes yeah. more sense than the Order of Saint Dumas or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Speaking real quickly of of comics, I wanted to mention a, a comic I read from Image called uh, Snapshot, and I know Andy Diggle is the uh, the uh, focus of a lot of derision and hatred from John and myself for what he did to Daredevil and Russ for what he did to Daredevil in uh, Shadowland. But to his credit, he did a great series called The Losers with, uh, with Jock, uh, which they made a movie out of, which was okay, but the comic is much, much better. And this is a new comic by that team for Image. It basically starts out with a guy who picks up a cell phone uh, on the street and finds uh, that it's full of pictures of dead bodies, of corpses. The story you think is going one way where you think the killer is, is going to come after him and find the cell phone, but it ends up having enough twists and turns that by the end, it's totally what, not what you thought it was, and it's totally different, And uh, it, but well written and not confusing at all. I, was really, uh, I really enjoyed that, so it's Snapshot from Image. I really, If you like The Losers, if you like that more uh, noir feel that Diggle and Jock had when they did The Losers, I think you're going to like this. Um, so I, I enjoyed it. It's one of the new wave of uh, creator-owned Image comics that have been coming out under the Skybound um, AGS.
3: Cool. To his defense, I liked all of the daredevil that Diggle did, except for
0: Shadowland. I could, I could, I, could yeah, I could, agree with that statement.
2: I, uh... A while back, I guess it's been a couple years now, I got the criminal... I, I call it the omnibus, but it's like the collected or uh, edition. I forget how, how they actually um, codify that, but anyway... It's um, it's basically the the criminal omnibus, and I read it at the time, and then in short order I got both the uh, incognito and the criminal omnibus volume two. So I went back and reread criminal volume one, um, by uh, Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, and it's it's fantastic. It's it's really 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 good. Um, you know, crime noir. You know, drama, uh, stories. They're, the first one I think has four separate stories, and it's really cool because they all kind of intertwine. It's almost like Sin City, but not as hardcore and not as gritty, and it's not as black and white, um, as, as Sin City. But it kind of has that feel like these characters will float into one book and float out of another book, and they take place at different time periods. Uh, and things like that, and then he recently, he kind of went away from that for a while, did Incognito, and then came back to Criminal, and uh, the the second volume has has two main, main stories in it, uh, or three main stories, and the second, the, the last one is called The Last of the Innocent. I don't know if you guys have read Criminal Last of the Innocent.
0: I have not. I read Incognito, but not that.
2: Yeah, if you have a chance to pick it up either digital or the trade or either, like I said, in this, in this, uh, collected edition, it's a really nice hardcover. It doesn't have a slip cover. It's white. Um, and it, the, the images are printed directly on the cover. Really, really well done, oversized. Um, but the premise behind The Last of the Innocent is imagine the Archie characters thrown into this crazy crime noir, uh, environment and it's really funny because the flashbacks of the characters when they're younger, Phillips actually kind of reverts back to an Archie style to his drawing and and the coloring, um, and then in the present what the present day stuff is t- is done you know very much in in Phillips' style. But it, it's you know like Jughead is a is an is a junkie he's a, he's an addict. Archie is like this down on his luck almost Charlie Brown type of guy like he's just kind of going through through life. His wife who, his wife is the analog to like the Veronica character and she like cheats on him with his best friend and, um, you know, he goes back to his hometown because his dad is sick and meets up with the Betty analog character who he kind of left behind. It's, it's just really, it's just so funny because they'll cut back to, you know, one of the, one of the scenes, like when they were kids, and it's like Archie and Jug, it's, it's, it, I mean, if you can imagine, it's like Archie and Jughead sitting out back, like smoking pot, and, and, you know, like, doing just crazy stuff. And it's, it's just, the, the story, knowing that it has this, these strong ties to the, to the, to the Archie characters, it's just there's times where I just like laugh out loud reading it, not because it's funny, but just imagining, you know, in your brain, you kind of have the like I said, the Archie characters and their and their look and how they're portrayed and, you know, somewhat wholesome and and, you know, uh, family friendly and all that. And when you throw them in this environment where these characters are just depraved and and just horrible human beings and they do these horrible things and the Archie character in the end just is is a despicable human being. It it's really awesome. I mean, it's just it's it's so damn good. Um I can't I can't recommend it enough.
3: Cool. Jordan, I read something on a whim and I thought of you immediately. Okay. I read Punisher Warzone number one, which is a limited series that's out.
1: Alright, and why did you think of me? I'm
3: curious. Because Spider Man is a major player in it. In Greg Rucka's Punisher, uh the last mission or job that Punisher does uh, he uses Spidey's web shooter I'm I'm not exactly sure how he came to find one or get one or
1: that may have been an Omega effect I'm not sure
3: okay that makes sense right that was the daredevil Punisher Spidey thing right okay cool so basically Spidey's pissed that he's you know going around using his web shooter and Spidey goes to the Avengers and he calls a meeting Mm-hmm. And everybody's, you know, you, mayhem ensues. You know, who called this meeting type of thing? And Thor is, is shows up and everything, and it was Spider-Man. Um, so you get some good Peter Parker sort of dialogue there and stuff. And, uh, you know, Spider-Man basically tells him, listen, we got to do something about this Punisher guy, finally. You know, he goes out killing people and blah, blah, blah. So the Avengers are basically not interested. They're busy they have a lot of other things to worry about other than Frank castle killing bad people right um, but spider-man will not have it because now he's killing using you know the web shooter and stuff so basically Spidey goes after the Punisher um, which is the first issue and it was really cool it was enjoyable the art is great I think if you like the uh, New York area Marvel characters Punisher Spidey Daredevil stuff like that the street uh, level guys. All mentioned I'm sorry the
1: street level guys
3: yes exactly uh you you might enjoy this one it also mentions you know that matt murdoch is uh helping with the trial of the punisher's uh apprentice lately i don't know if anybody read the new rucker punisher stuff but he has a female punisher friend that uh her husband was killed right she was a police officer same type of idea um she got caught already so i guess she wasn't As great a Punisher as Frank Castle, perhaps, (laughs) but uh, so that's all playing into it. But really good; it it was cool. I don't I don't read many many miniseries, but uh, I do like Punisher, and so I checked it out, and I was happy.
2: This is like Rucka's swan song for the Punisher, right? I mean, this is like once he's done with this, he's done, right?
3: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I would definitely buy a collected edition of this run of Punisher that he did. It's very good. He sort of transformed Frank a little bit. You know, he's got the beard growing now, and uh, the vulture had, like, ripped out his eye in one of the first couple of issues, so he's going around with an eye patch and a beard. Um, so he's co- sort of reimagined the character a little bit. No white go-go boots. <laughs> so that was really cool. The only other thing I really want to mention quickly is the Hawkeye series by uh, Fraction and Aja. Oh, yeah. Very good stuff. Yeah. Excellent. Oh, yeah. They're one-offs. You know, they don't... Like you guys said about Hickman, they're not, like, writing for the trade. They're all, like... So far, they've been, like, three self-contained issues, pretty much. And uh, they're just a lot of fun. The basic idea is what Hawkeye does when he's not doing Avengers stuff. I like That's pretty much, I think, the tagline of the book.
0: Yeah, I like the fact that worked worked uh, Kate Bishop in, too, because I thought she was a good character back in Young Avengers. Um, I thought they kind of abandoned those uh, characters, but I'm glad to see... She's still around.
1: Uh, Some comics news stuff. Have we talked about uh, the future of Spider-Man at all yet? No. No.
3: You know, I saw there was a spoiler that I missed, and then I couldn't find it for, I guess it was Avenging? Is that, no, Superior. Right,
1: well, basically, and I mean, I don't know any real spoilers as to at least the identity of who it's going to be, but... uh, Come Superior Spider-Man, come the end of of Amazing Spider-Man with issue 700, Peter Parker will no longer be Spider-Man, at least for probably a year or so. Uh, We don't know why. We don't know who's taking over. We do know that person has claws, and some people have speculated Miguel O'Hara, a.k.a. Spider-Man 2099. But the funny thing is, I I believe it was Dan Slott at at NYCC said, uh, So uh, Spider-Man's going to be getting back together with Mary Jane. It's just not going to be Peter Parker. So, uh, suck it, nerds. <laughs> you know, something along those lines. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm cool with it. I mean, you know Peter's going to be back probably r- r- uh, probably around the time that Amazing Spider-Man 2 comes out. But uh, I'm always cool with them doing something new and a little different with the comic. And uh, you know they're not going to kill off Peter Parker for good, or have him retire for good, or whatever. And I've been enjoying what Dan Slott's been doing on Amazing Spider-Man. So if he's got a way to write Peter Parker out of the costume for a little while, uh, more power to him. I can't wait to see what they do.
2: Yeah, I almost think I read the the tweet that came out, and which was probably part of fake. me. Yeah, that that's my guess. Is you know, there's been a lot of this stuff where people have been tweeting other people, thinking they're DMing. And they truly accidentally uh, put a tweet out instead of a DM. Uh, I think this was kind of Dan Slott riffing off that. I mean, Dan Slott, I've seen him in interviews. Um, we saw him at the New York Comic Con panel. He seems to be kind of like a, um, a jokester, you know, kind of a trickstery. You know, just like he's always, um, you know, making jokes and making fun and making light of stuff. So I could easily see that uh, that tweet fitting into his personality style. So you're saying um, Dan Slott is Loki? Yes, exactly. Exactly, <laughs> they they used his personality. Tim Huddleston followed
1: him around for several months um, before before filming uh, the Avengers. The, the tweet um, for anyone who isn't aware basically intoned that it was indeed Miguel O'Hara, Spider-Man 2099, inside the suit. But like we're saying, it was most likely him messing with the people following him on Twitter.
2: Yeah, it was like it was a it was a tweet to Ryan Stegman, I think to. you know critique his art a little bit that you know that there was a a claw or not a claw or so i don't know something like that but um but yeah i i I fully expect that to be a red herring um but i'm with you jordan i'm not um you know i'm not too crazy about the fact that uh, or let let me let me then you're not with me if you're not too crazy about no no (laughs) i'm I don't get what, you know, again, fanboy ire. I don't quite get it. Um, the story hasn't come out yet. We don't know what Dan Slott has planned for the way that 698, 99, and 700 are going to end. We don't know, you know, the full story. And if, and if in the end, you know, he, Spider Man's out of the costume, he tells great stories or a great story. Um, and then we get it back. I'm totally fine with that. I mean, you know, I think that's what's great about comics is you can mix things up and you can, you know, you could do crazy stuff for a while. Um, as long as it's you know not a a crazy departure from the character and who the character is. But you know, they've done it before; they'll do it again. Um, you know, things will be fine. I, you know, if it if it gives us a good story in the meantime, then I say you know
1: go for it. Absolutely.
0: Well, uh, I know Jordan and I are both pretty excited because we're going to get the first original. Uh, all-new episode of The Venture Brothers as a Halloween Go special. Go Team Venture! It's been a long time. It has been a long time since we've had, since Operation Prom, the final episode of, episode three, or of Season yeah, 3. Yeah,
1: last year we got, what, a 15-minute kind of behind-the-music special about Shallow Gravy, and then I think it had been almost a whole year before that since Operation Prom, so we're running on about two years since the last proper episode. We get a special tonight, which is the Halloween one, and then, uh, season five, I guess it will be, starts in, I want to say February or, or May, somewhere in the beginning of next year.
0: Yeah, it doesn't start until next year, uh, 2013. Uh, I don't know if they've nailed it down to a particular, uh, date or not, but yeah, this will be the first, uh, original venture content we've had in a long, long time. Um, it, it was funny too, because, uh, everybody, when I saw, uh, Jackson Public and Doc Hammer at New York Comic Con, uh, last year, they, uh, you know, they were very cagey about how long it would take um, to, uh, you know, for this new uh, season to, to be, you know, to come out, uh, you know, they were making jokes about everyone is a perfect little snowflake, and we have to, you know, everyone is, is special unto itself, and we have to take a long time, but, you know, they tried to pin them down to a date back then, even, you know, for this season, and they weren't they weren't having it, so I mean, I guess they're really taking their time to get this new season done but yeah, I'm, I'm glad to have at least a little slice of venture goodness for Halloween
1: And I know nothing about the content of the special, I've been keeping myself away from spoilers I, have um, I haven't even watched the trailer so uh, I cannot wait Johnny, uh, I, I heard uh, you saw a little show called Arrow some, some oh, more episodes yeah. of that? What would you think?
3: Yeah. it's You know what? So far, so good. Uh, it's three episodes in. They had Deadshot in episode three, which was very cool. Uh, we talked about it a little bit when we ran the panel from New York Comic Con, which was awesome. Um, what can I say? I love the nods they're throwing into the show. Uh, a bunch of characters are, are named after creators, which is cool. Uh, there was also a hotel room that Deadshot was hiding out in, was room 52.
0: Big Belly, so big belly little, Burger from the DCU Yeah, is in there.
3: Yeah, big Belly Burger, sure. So they're, they're doing a nice job of uh, satisfying the geeks. I, I love the action. They seem to be pulling off the superhero stuff. They're not going 100% costume, but you know uh who they are deadshot had like an eye a special you know electronic eyepiece and the wrist shooter which was really cool but he wasn't in like the full deadshot costume um i guess everybody's seen the arrow costume at this point we've seen china white she looked pretty good and from the screenshots i think dead uh no deathstroke is going to be pretty close he's at least going to have the two-tone mask
0: isn't that john barrowman playing uh deathstroke
3: I know John Barrowman is in the show. I'm not sure if that's the part he's playing.
0: Okay, I saw the Deadshot episode as well. I really enjoyed it. I'm glad they're going for more action oriented rather than more soap opera oriented. So far, so good. You know, I'm I'm enjoying it more than I thought I would.
3: Yeah, the only person I wish dead is the little sister. They're doing this side plot where Oliver's little sister is like a wannabe socialite, uh, you know, Paris Hilton type wannabe. And so he's dealing with like her breaking curfew and stuff, and she's screaming, I hate you at the mom. It's very WB. It's, it's, or, or CW, whatever. They're, they're towing the line with that. They're dabbling in the love triangle stuff as well. But like Jim said, mostly it's been pretty action packed and pretty, uh, you know, pretty true to the, cr- to the comics, which is kind of refreshing for television, actually.
0: And it's not hokey, like you said, like John was saying it. They aren't they haven't gone full spandex, you know, or anything like that. It's it's more of a, a like a, more of a Christopher Nolan type, uh, more uh, realistic, quote unquote, uh, take on the character and the universe, and, and I kind of like yeah. that.
3: It's somewhere between Smallville and like Birds of Prey. It's it's more superhero than Smallville. But not as you know they didn't go full out spandex either. So, cool. I mean, uh, Russ, I know Jordan is not interested. Russ, have you tried it yet, or do you plan on it? Or,
2: yeah, they're they're queued up on my DVR. Um, I haven't had a chance to actually watch them yet, but uh, I probably during this coming week I'll probably try and get caught up uh, so I can get back on track because yeah, I've heard a lot of uh, a lot of good things about it.
3: Yeah, and one thing I really like also is they're exploring his origin in flashbacks to the island. Oh, cool. Yeah, so they haven't wasted time with... You know, let me put it this way. There's been a few moments where I've been like, how does he know how to do that from this deserted island? You know, like, how would he learn how to speak languages on this deserted island that he was on? And they're slowly, like, showing you that it's more than just a deserted island.
0: Right. Like that's the, the origin is the overarching story. Um, you know, what's right. Going on. That's the, the you know, main story takes place.
3: Right. But they definitely aren't bogging it down. You know, it, it's not a uh, movie style where the first 45 minutes is him on the island, learning how to shoot an arrow. They've fast forwarded to the present and they go back slowly every episode to fill in the gaps.
0: I was gonna say they made some uh, like dropped some clues here and there that his origin somehow is tied to Deathstroke, as well in the first episode.
3: Right. right.
2: Cool. I, I guess that's you know the the lost effect maybe you know of storytelling where you don't have to tell everything completely linear. And I think overall the story will probably benefit from that. If it, you know, I'm assuming they'll probably stretch this out beyond the first season even, instead of getting like a truncated or rushed or hurried origin or spending the first two episodes doing nothing but that and not getting into the actual characters and the in the purpose of the show it kind of allows them to fill in the gaps like i said if they decide to make a character change somewhere they could always shoehorn it in after the fact with this you know flashing back to the origin so i think it's a smart way to to do it and, and potentially get them out of some uh writing dead ends as well
3: yeah it's been way better than I ever expected, so... Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Other than that, still watching Elementary. I love Lucy Lou. They (laughs) ordered a full season, so I'm pumped about that. And uh, it's been total one-offs so far. Just case of the week. But they've been interesting and funny, and it's kind of refreshing to watch a show that isn't so tied into continuity. You know? It's just, if I miss one, I miss one. I'll watch the next one. It's a new case.
2: Cool. I guess we had a little bit, not to get too far into it, but just a a hair bit of uh, shield casting news with uh, with Ming Na being cast uh, on the show along with uh, now Clark Gregg. So yeah, it's, it's it's starting to come together.
3: Yeah, really quickly. Actually, um, you would think that more casting news is is on the way. You know, you wouldn't think that they'd cast one person and stop. So
2: it, you know, it's funny before. If, if the Avengers movie hadn't come out and they did this, I would expect this to be probably not even the next season, but maybe the season after that, if we were lucky, and if they tested a pilot. Um, I fully expect to see this on the air and by next season.
0: Yeah, I agree. Oh, you know they're going to fast-track it with the, with the success they had with Avengers. Indeed. Well, if I may shift the subject really quickly before we wrap things up uh, and talk to Russ about his adventures at Wizard World Austin. Uh, Jordan and I took a little trip to a place called Pandora via Borderlands 2. We've been playing co-op together a little bit where I'm I'm right at the end of the game now. I'm at about the same level Jordan is, but I think we're both level 32. But this has been one of the most fun, just out-and-out fun games I've played in a long, long time. It's full of really cool, funny pop culture references. You kill Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. You kill Timon and Pumbaa. You kill you Batman. You kill the Ninja Turtles. The Ninja Turtles, yes. <laughs> it's just so inventive that there, there are, really are, like, hundreds and hundreds of different weapons to choose from. You can really, like, choose one that just feels right. Uh, you get to kill all these uh, really great uh, um, um, enemy types that are, are challenging and tough, and even at the higher levels, it's really... Uh, it's really fun and challenging. And co-op is great. You just drop in, drop out. You know, I mean, when we were first starting to play, I was at a higher level than Jordan. I was still able to jump into his game and help him out of some spots or whatever. And now, like, we were just playing the other night in, like, that arena level. Yeah, Boy. yeah, that was tough, man. And then I died, and what happened was you have to drop into an elevator to get into the arena. But because I died and regenerated and came back, I was stuck in the elevator, and I couldn't come down and help Jordan. So I had to snipe. From up in the elevator to help him out, um, but it's it's a lot of fun to play in co-op and in single player. There's so many funny characters. Tiny Tina, um, oh, she's amazing. Psychotic twelve-year-old girl with a lot of explosives.
1: Think um, hit girl with ADHD.
0: Yeah, <laughs> hit girl on a big sugar buzz. Yeah, no doubt. Um, the, it's just so funny. And like we were playing one time, and uh, yeah, people were I there are all kinds of pop culture references all throughout The enemies uh, uh, quote lines from movies. And you know, one of them was like, I am the one who knocks. And, uh, when Jordan and I were playing in the, the, the one area, it, it's just a lot of fun. And, and the online is just really easy to use. And just, I didn't really have too many problems with lag. Um, yeah, not infer- at all here either uh, at all. And, um, I found a gun after I did this incre- this quest where you had to kill like a hundred bandits. And, and there are like, you know, road warrior style bandits uh, with all different kinds of weaponry and, and art, dis- art direction. And, and by the way, the salt shaded look of the game, uh, that cartoony look is just great. It just adds to the feeling of fun uh, to the game for me. But anyway, I got a gun, and it was like the most powerful weapon I had had so far at that point in the game. And it made sarcastic—the gun itself made sarcastic remarks to me as to my performance in the in the game. It was yeah. Like, I thought yeah. it was
1: Jim's character yelling at me, and I was really confused. But it was hilarious. Like if you didn't like if this, you didn't shoot so bad, you wouldn't have to reload so often,
0: idiot. Yeah, like the gun is making fun of me as I'm using it, but I had to use it because it was my most powerful sniper rifle. And um, all the different—I mean—the guns do incredible things. Like um, the—they shoot bullets that explode in acid, or that are electrically charged, or will set people on fire, or explode on impact. There are um, one brand. Every
1: time you reload it, it explodes. Like you throw it like a grenade, it explodes, and you just get a new one that's fully loaded. That's the brand. The entire brand. Every gun they make does that.
0: Yeah, it's like a disposal. Yeah, there are different brands of guns you can buy. There's a grenade you can throw that creates a singularity, like a black hole that draws all the enemies into one bunch, and then the grenade explodes.
2: It it almost kind of sounds like a little bit of Armed and Dangerous. Remember the, the LucasArts game? They put out on the original Xbox. Yeah, but it's ago?
0: it's yeah, I do remember that game. It's like that to the just crazy weapons. Yeah, the millionth degree though. I mean, it just I mean, but the weapons are really useful too. I mean, I have a sniper rifle that shoots um, acid bullets, so I basically can get a shot from across one. And the environments are huge. I can't believe how big this game is. I haven't played a game with you know this much environment and places to explore since Skyrim. I mean, I would have to compare it to that, and it's a first-person shooter. Um, it's just... I mean, there are little crevices and things to explore. There are audio logs to find. There are, um, all kinds of side quests to do. Um, there's, like, this whole pyro... I mean, it's just amazing. Like like, uh, Jordan said, you can do... You can deliver pizza to the mutant ninja turtles and then kill them. Um, sometimes you'll open up a treasure chest or whatever, or a loot chest, and inside will be a midget with a shotgun. Um... <laughs> Which is, uh, often
1: really, really tough and hard to kill
0: yeah they're like and they have like different levels of character, like you have your regular character, like say a marauder, then you have a killer marauder then you have a badass marauder, then you have a super badass marauder, <laughs> and each one is harder to to kill and uh and you know different, cl- and and drops different loot, and it's got that diablo thing going on where you're constantly wanting more loot, you're constantly wanting bit you know to find better weapons and better and more money and and better equipment and uh it's just a really cool marriage of a really fun shooter and, and, and uh, RPG.
1: And I just played through the first game, too, because a buddy of mine gave me his copy of the second, so I figured, oh, I might as well play through the first one before I do the second one. And I enjoyed the first one, but by the end of it, I was really burnt out, and I'm like, man, this sucks now that I'm going to play the second one, and I'm already going to be kind of in a bad place with the style and the gameplay. Like, I almost need a break. But I tell you, this game is so much better than the first one. Yeah, it's got all the funny stuff the first one had, the crazy loot, all that kind of stuff, but the story is, I mean, it's not the world's most amazing story, but it has had several moments so far that caught me off guard and switched it up from, uh, hey, isn't this all hilarious, to, oh, that was really dark. I was not expecting that twist. I was not expecting what this character would do or that line or just the, the the change the story took, and it's really hooked me. I'm really enjoying everything in this game so far. Even the parts where I get to that are way too high level for me, you know, I'm still having fun doing more of a survival aspect there, and then coming back later when I'm better equipped and just, you know, wrecking face. It, it's
0: awesome. And the vehicular stuff is fun, too.
1: So much uh, you, better than the first game
0: absolutely you get jeeps and and the one uh, jeep uh, that we had was um, shoot it uh, has a catapult on the back that sh- throws uh, explosive barrels and there are these guys in the sky they're kind of like the gyro captain from uh, the road warrior they're like single um, single man you know helicopters that'll come and dive bomb you so we're throwing explosive barrels at helicopters watching them explode out of the sky that was a lot of fun but,
1: I like um, the variant that shoots uh, flaming saw blades.
0: At enemies, uh, that's pretty that's, fun. That's good, too. But yeah, I understand. I remember Armed and Dangerous as well with, like, the shark gun and stuff. And this game is like that, but the weapons are actually useful. They do, like, incredible things. There's, like, a, a sniper rifle that'll, you know, burst like a shotgun once it reaches its target. You know, um, uh, My Guy Zero has an ability where if two guys are lined up, like, say, enemies are coming at me, I can shoot a bullet through one, and it'll hit the guy behind him and do double damage. And then triple damage behind him. Like, the skills that you get are incredible. Um, and and I, like I said, the art direction, the the, the graphics are really fun. Uh, that we uh really cool cel-shaded style. I really like that a lot. So I've been playing the hell Can out of it. Can you totally
3: play alone, or is it always...
1: I've played 90% alone. I've been totally fine. In fact, um, when Jim joins, or when he joined before, because he was a higher level, I was actually dying more often because the enemies were slightly tougher and there was more of them but it wasn't a big deal because this game has this great mechanic where i think gears has a similar thing but um one your your teammate can run over and revive you but two if you can kill an enemy and i've got a turret who can also kill enemies for me which is nice while you're down you get back up and get a health boost and a shield boost so you can come right back in kicking it doesn't matter if you go down 50 times while shooting you know 20 enemies you you're still going you're still firing it's kind of got a left for dead you know, feel or uh, or gears feel in that in that way, where it doesn't matter if you go down, you're still a part of the round and you're still going to contribute.
0: And the re- and the respawn places are usually fairly close to what's going on, especially you know boss fights and stuff where you, know, you need to yeah. regenerate. And dying really isn't that big of a deal. It just takes a little money off your ticker and takes you back to the last uh, respawn place. You know, yeah. So it's it just makes it streamlines streamlines the fun. I think it's just. It's just really fun, incredibly fun shooter, and like I said, it's just you have that loot, you know, that loot lust that you get. Oh, I, I gotta get the next cool weapon. I gotta get the next, you know, thing or whatever. The better loot, so I can do more um, of these, you know, cool missions. There's one one mission where the guy you're hunting down, Handsome Jack, the villain, uh, pays you a bounty to go kill yourself, and the two options of the mission <laughs> are do it or don't do it. and each one has
1: rewards each one has separate rewards
0: right exactly
1: so i chose not to do it instead i called a suicide prevention helpline uh which basically told me i was a coward (laughs) but i still got i still got xp out of it you know
0: and i did it and i got uh, i did both because i saved it and just to see what would happen and i did jump off the leap there and all i did was respawn at the last respawn place and i got in the xp bonus but uh, it, it, it's just a super fun game if you know if you like first-person shooters at all, and the co-op's really smooth and uh, it's a lot of fun.
3: Another game that streamlines the fun is uh, Dishonored.
0: I've been playing a bit of that too, not as much as Borderlands two, but I really enjoy that game a lot. I can't wait to really settle down and, and dig in.
3: Dishonored is a stealth; it's a first-person stealth game that takes out all of the annoying parts of stealth uh, in-game. So, you know, you have the trope of stealth games where you kill people and you must then hide the bodies, right? Right. Well, in Dishonored, there's a rat plague. So if you kill people and there's rats around, they will come and eat the body for you. Nice. And when you advance enough, you can get a spell... Where if you kill somebody and it's a total surprise, they turn to dust. And then you can later on upgrade that spell to anybody that you kill automatically turns to dust. So by the time you've hidden enough bodies that you're now annoyed by doing it, you don't have to do it anymore. Oh, that's cool. It's an ingenious mechanic.
2: That's one of the things that got old with like Splinter Cell really fast.
3: Yeah, exactly. They also, I I think Jim was just mentioning, there's a blink spell, they call it, which basically gives you the power of Nightcrawler. Uh, So instead of having to find, you know, really uh, intricate ways of climbing up to a space where nobody would be able to spot you, you can just blink up to that space. So... Again, they've taken away the monotony of, I have to jump on this table, I have to platform up to this ledge, I have to grab onto the ceiling, you know, you just, you're it, you're there.
2: Yeah, I know I've on? been, I've been listening to uh, the Giant Bombcast, and they, they've they been going on about that as well, so it's, it's, uh, unfortunately for me lately, it's been more time than anything, so I've been a little bit behind the curve but I'm hoping at some point I can I can jump on both of those games uh for sure
0: and Go ahead, Jim. I'm sorry. I was just going to say Dishonored, I mean, it has that great setting, too. It's like that steampunk setting, and everything's run on whale oil, and, like, the the weapons you have aren't, like, high-tech weapons. They're like a crossbow and and a spring blade, you know, very, it reminded me of some parts of Assassin's Creed 3, but you're absolutely right, John. Like, and the levels are big and vertical, so if you get into a jam where you, you know, your stealth is blown, you can blink, like, up into the rafters and pretty much... Um, you know get get yourself back i mean it, it takes a lot of the annoying you know th- tropes from like you said russ uh, splinter cell and i remember in metal gear it was the same deal you'd always hide the bodies made sure they weren't found so you didn't blow your stealth this totally takes that away and I, I just love the look of it it reminds me very much of like bioshock it's very much its own world and it's really well realized and the art direction is just great and the level design is just incredible
3: yeah, and they um, another another mechanic that that's great. Uh, you take a game like um, I don't know, like an Arkham Asylum, and, and you know that all of these question marks are hidden everywhere, and you just have to hunt and hunt and hunt. And, you know, if, if you're the type of person, the completest, that wants to find all of the hidden objects, you'll be searching. And well, in Dishonored, you have a talking heart that when you equip it. It highlights where all of the hidden objects are. <laughs> so again, it doesn't get you to them, but it tells you, hey, in that direction, a hundred meters away, is, you know, a rune, and you need to collect the runes to upgrade your spells and stuff like that. So again, you can you can start a level, right? You know what your mission is, equip your heart Try to sneak around and get all the hidden objects before you even start your mission.
0: But if you point the heart at a person, like a player or an NPC in the game, you can hear what they're thinking. Yes. That's how much detail is in the game. Like if you're, in a, you know, you're walking down the street and you have the heart equipped, and you walk by someone, they'll be like, "Gee, I'm really worried about my son and daughter. My daughter has the plague." You know, and you'll hear like what the person is thinking. And sometimes, like in the missions, that's helpful. If you can hear what the person is thinking, that'll give you a clue as to what to do next or where to go. Um, it's, it's it's a great game. I'm really. I, I if I wasn't so addicted to Borderlands 2, I'd be playing more of it.
3: Yeah, there's a possession spell. So you can if you have a room of two people and you need to kill one but not the other, you can possess the person that you don't need to kill and make them walk out of the room. So then you have a free shot at the other guy. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, there's just a bunch of really cool stuff. And at the end of every mission, you get your stat sheet. All right, you alerted three guards, you killed two innocent people you know you were spotted two times or or whatever and then you could say all right you know what i'd like to play that mission again and try not to get seen at all probably the only negative thing i have to say about it is it's a very trial and error type of game and the load times are a little too long to do to do it that way so in other words if you're going to say all right can I make this shot without the other person seeing? And you try it, and it doesn't work. So you want to go back to your save point and try it again. It takes a little bit too long to jump in and out of load and save times. That's probably the only negative. And that's on PS3. I haven't played it on Xbox. Maybe it's a little better. But yeah, Dishonored is a very good game. I recommend it You know, down the road to anybody who's waiting for a 3-for-2 used sale or... Or anything, it's it's uh it's a lot of fun. And Assassin's Creed will be out soon. I'm gonna try to hold off on that one, but I'm definitely getting Black Ops two. So, video game season is here.
0: Halo four, the week after uh, Assassin's uh, Creed three, two is coming out.
2: Yeah,
3: I'm glad I'm not a Halo player.
0: I'm glad I'm not I'm a Call of Duty, duty player. So.
3: Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's basically the same thing. One's in one's in space and one's uh in a war.
0: On Earth. I like, I like space. So, Russ, do you want to tell us all about your adventures at the Wizard World Austin convention?
2: Yeah, yeah, so it's the third annual Wizard World Austin slash Austin Comic Con. I'm not really sure how they're, they're labeling it, but, uh, I think they're trying to pump up the, the Austin Comic Con name more so than the Wizard, uh, the, you know, it's almost like they're trying to get away from the Wizard World blank, uh, type of, naming. But uh, it, it continues to improve overall. I mean, the first year they had it, uh, the panels were kind of mixed in with the floor. Uh, the second y- year, they, they did a little bit better job of segregating them. This year, they actually put the panels in the ballrooms upstairs, uh, which was a, a huge improvement because A, it kept that traffic um, isolated off the floor so we didn't have all these crazy lines. The rooms were a whole lot bigger. You didn't have to worry about Somebody having a panel in one room that was overriding a panel in the next room because the only thing separating them was a curtain. Uh, so that was that was a huge, huge deal. Uh, the rooms, I think, were big enough based on the attendance. Um, I went to the Reedus and Rooker panel, which if you listen to Walking Dead TV, you'll you'll hear that audio. And the line was pretty long, but by the end, it was about 95 90% full. So, you know, even after all that, you know, huge line, you could still have gotten in and, you know, sat somewhere and heard the panel just fine. Uh, the acoustics are a little odd. Um, the, you know, they didn't have like these freestanding speakers set up. So you just kind of, they, they had them in the ceiling to hear. So it wasn't, uh, um, in a way, it's good because you don't get the, the, you know, the, sometimes those things are way over tuned and, uh, the, the audio can be a little overbearing. But it was real good. Um, you could definitely hear the people asking questions, and then hear everybody respond. I know sometimes we go to panels, and you know the the mics on the 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 attendees aren't quite tur- tuned up right, and you can't always hear the question. Um, so they had all that stuff worked out pretty well, um, and and that was good. The floor itself, I think they continued to tweak the layout. It's getting you know again, it's getting better. They they. Flipped around the way they had Artist Alley set up. They have a pretty large Artist Alley. Artist Alley is probably maybe a quarter of the size of the whole floor. There's tons of artists out there putting stuff out. This year it didn't seem like the talent was... Quite the the high end talent on the on the comic art side was quite as diverse as it was last year. But uh, Michael Golden was there, Jim Chung was there, which he's you know pretty pretty big name that uh, that I hadn't seen at any of the the Wizard cons previous. So I did I get I got to talk to Michael Golden for just a little bit. He was kind of uh, wrapping up today, and uh, I got him to sign my uh, Avengers Annual number ten. Uh, so that was really awesome. I talked to Nick Patara, who, um, if you read the Red Wing and are reading the Manhattan Projects, I don't know if you guys are reading Manhattan Projects.
0: Yeah,
3: yeah. No, I read the Red Wing.
2: Yeah, so I got I got to talk a little bit to Nick Patara. Um, the one bad thing about where they have the artist alley set up is they they're playing music uh, throughout that area of the of the convention. And not so much the rest of it, which was kind of irritating. Number one, it made getting, trying to get interviews almost impossible because you would hear that music in the background. And depending on the song they were playing, they would either crank it up or crank it down. So at any one given moment, you never knew whether you were going to get totally drowned out. A lot of the artists look like they're a little perturbed by that because they're trying to, you know, do business and talk to people. And, uh, they could barely hear, you know, somebody standing right in front of them. So I think that's something that hopefully, uh, Wizard will correct for next year because it just it just made it tough for anybody trying to do any kind of media to to have a conversation. But yeah, I talked to Nick uh, a bit. He's a Houston native. Uh, he'll be at I think he'll he'll be at Comic Palooza this coming year. I, I reached out to him about an interview and he was really really open to to do an interview by Skype. He was uh, he had his portfolio there and everything. But if you're not reading Manhattan Projects, it's by Jonathan Hickman and and like I said, art by Nick Patara and he does the pencils and the inks. Uh, on it, and uh, it's just a really cool, fun book um, that has to do with um, alternate uh, history, alternate future, the craziness surrounding the actual Manhattan Project, and there wasn't just one; there were many. Insane, and his style, Nick's style, is really cool. It's almost kind of like uh, it's very Mobius influenced, and um, it like Jeff Darrow, it sounds kind of weird. Jeff Darrow influenced, uh, yeah. I've been re- I've been reading yeah, that yeah, yeah.
0: project as well, like that hyper detailed. Uh, really pay really right. attention to details, really fine line work.
2: Yeah, it, it, so it's kind of refreshing to see something you know original, something that doesn't look like like you put that book up, and it definitely doesn't look like it came out of Marvel and DC. And nothing against Marvel and DC books; I read tons of them. Uh, but it, it's just really refreshing to to have that style with with uh, Hickman's, uh, you know, Hick, the, Hickman, Hickman's work and his usual st- uh, flair, design flair. Coming through on that book, just kind of like it did on on the Red Wing. So hopefully we'll be able to to, to talk to him sometime soon. Rob Guillory was there from Chu. Uh He was he was doing a lot of sketch list was pretty full. Um, you got to talk to him for just for just a minute. Um, he had a, a bunch of his trades out there, for Chu. That was about it on the artist side. Jim Chung was pretty popular. He had a lot of folks folks there, but but Nick Nick's list was filled up as well. And Joe Isma from uh, Morning Glories. The two uh, Nick and and Joe kind of had a table together. Definitely um, keep, keep an eye on that. We might we might be able to, to work something out there and, and talk to those guys in a little more depth about, about what they're doing because they're really doing some good stuff. Um, the celebrity side, uh, you know, that again, that's not really my scene. I mean, we talk about that all the time. You guys kind of feel the same way as I do about, you know, celebrity autographs and things like that. But it was very popular at that con. Elijah Dushku uh, had a table set or had a booth set up. Her line was pretty busy on Saturday. I didn't see her there Sunday um, but it was, it was packed pretty much nonstop on Sunday. She had a panel on Sunday as well that I kind of had s- some time to kill. I was going to head up there, but the line was ridiculous. I mean, it was, it was even longer than, than what I saw for Redis and Rooker. So it looked like it was going to, um, you know, fill up pretty quick. Funny enough, they had a lot of the Star Trek, the, you know, the big thing was like the seven original cast members for Star Trek The Next Generation had a special paid event panel, which uh, I I didn't get to. The press didn't let us into that. We we still had to pay separate. Um, and it was Saturday, kind of late. Um, and I I didn't get to it.
0: How much How much does it cost to hang out f- uh, for a press panel or for a panel with the seven original cast members of the Next Generation?
2: You know, I don't know. I didn't. Curiosity. I you know. Yeah, to be honest with you, I didn't even look. Um, because I I just you know I just really did. I just didn't get around to doing it. So I'm not really sure how much it was. Um, but it's funny, when I picked up my press pass, they were very clear on, on making sure I understood that, uh, that it did, did not include that event. But funny enough, uh, Will Wheaton's booth, I think, was the busiest, except for Norman Reedus, his booth was the busiest throughout the con. The line at the Will Wheaton booth was ridiculous, um, both days. I mean, today even, it was just, it was crazy. Like I said, I think the only booth that had more traffic was was or as much traffic was Norman Reedus. I mean, even like the rest of the Next Gen cash, cast, they had Spiner and they had Frakes and they had um, Michael Dorn and, and all those guys there. But but man, Wheaton's booth was just crazy, um, which I, I just thought was really funny.
0: His, his blog <laughs> is awesome.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's he's kind of making you know, and good for him, you know, kind of a resurgence between. Well, he has uh, a big Bang show, Theory,
0: and he has a show on uh, on Geek and Sundry Network on YouTube called Tabletop. Right, it's really highly rated.
2: Right, right. So he's kind of he's kind of coming back. Um, and, you know, he's he's written some books I think that have been pretty popular as well. So it's just really kind of funny. Like I said, that that his his booth was was more hopping than some of the you know quote unquote big name celebrities. I, you know, again, I got to I got to to speak to Michael Rooker for just a little bit. Um, it was it was kind of an odd exchange but uh but he again busy busy guy there's a lot going on um as well the the deals um there there were quite a few vendors i would say just as many vendors last year um or this year as last year i i didn't really buy a lot there wasn't one of the things i noticed was and i don't know if it's just because uh you know the price of the booth and and the margins and everything else there wasn't a lot of vendors that had either 50 cent books or dollar books or even, you know, like $2 books. There wasn't, you know, most of the vendors that were dealing in comics were there with higher grade, um, bronze, silver, and golden age books, uh, you know, looking, I think, for, you know, the higher margins and, and higher price points. So I didn't, I, I spent a little bit of money. I got a few, you know, filled in a few Conan trades. There's always these, this one set of guys, um, that show up to a lot of these Texas cons where they you know they have a, a just a a huge amount of of half off trades. So like I said I filled in a couple more of my Conan uh set both the 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 chronicles which is the original Marvel stuff and the uh the the dark horse stuff they've been doing recently. I got the third volume of the redone No Man's Land trade for half off, so that was kind of cool. And and the big I guess kind of the big find that I got for a pretty decent price was Duncan Vale books, which if you guys listen to Half Hour Wasted, those were the folks that, uh, that Brad, uh, sold his collection to and he was, he spoke really highly of them and, and the business they did. They were also the ones that unfortunately had their, uh, van stolen last year on their way to Austin Comic Con and, and didn't quite make it. So I went by their booth and they had some really good stuff. Um, I almost pulled the trigger on an Uncanny X-Men 121, which is the first full appearance of Alpha Flight. And it was, uh, it was like 50 bucks, which, um, below guide um it was in really good shape um but i just i i passed on it and i ended up picking up uncanny 135 which the copy they had was probably maybe very good maybe uh maybe fine plus um it, it was in fairly good shape but it was pretty cheap i got it for like i don't know 15 bucks or something like that um and for those of you not familiar it's it's The second to the last part of the Dark Phoenix saga. It's, it's the famous cover where it's that crazy, wild eyed, uh, Dark Phoenix, um, you know, huge on the cover where she's grabbing a hold of the actual X-Men logo and kind of crunching it with one hand. Um, you know, the classic, uh, burn, um, you know, cover, cover to that issue. So that was kind of a good catch. So now I've got 135, 136. Um, but other than that, Oh, yeah, wow. 136
0: they're... too has that iconic, uh, Cyclops holding jeans, uh, body, child of light and darkness, right? Yeah,
2: yeah that one I That's actually a pretty got. a iconic at... cover, too. Yeah, that one I got in New York last year. I think I got it for 10 bucks, and, uh, which was kind of crazy because it was in really good shape, um, for, for, a, for a $10 book, especially that book. Um, You know, so this one was a little bit more, um, but good you know, condition was good enough. I almost pulled the trigger, they had an uncanny one thirty, which is the first dazzler. And it was the price again, it was it was discounted off it was like twenty five or thirty bucks and then it was twenty five off that, but it had a nick in the top of the cover, it had a little like very, very small triangular piece that was kinda nicked out of it. And so I was like, eh, I'm just gonna wait. You know, it's it's getting to that point where I'd rather pay a few bucks more for you know a book in better shape than than to you know get a get a you know a better you know, cheaper price on a book that's you know kind of um, on its face is obviously got some some defects. So so I passed on that one, but I almost I almost convinced myself into getting it. Um, there's a guy there that had a copy of Uncanny or a giant size X Men number one for 200 bucks, um, and it was it wasn't in the greatest shape. But again, that's a pretty expensive book, and and you know mint near mint is going to be, you know probably almost two grand. So so just you know that that kind of stuff. But you know not like I said the you know a lot of like toy vendors, a lot of uh, you know people selling you know just various different you know toys, statues. You know a lot of it's funny on the on the cosplay side, the steampunk thing really seems to be getting big. So there was a lot of vendors that had. You know, crazy steampunk stuff and, and a lot of uh, cosplay going on with steampunk. Um, so it's, it's it was really kind of uh, interesting. I noticed that uh, at Comic Palooza too. So I don't know if that's maybe a Texas thing. I don't know if that's just a con thing in general that that seems to be going on. One of the one of the other folks I talked to, and uh, I actually co- recorded a little bit of audio because they were in a part of the con where uh, I, I was able to kind of get a good conversation without a lot of interference. Was uh, some folks from this place called Action Figure Labs, and they're based out of Houston. And what, what they do is you can actually either, uh, take a picture. If you, if you have a a picture of yourself, um, at least from three different angles, like four, you know, front on and then left and right. And they kind of have some, uh, preset templates set up. You can actually make an action figure out of yourself. Um, and they have, they have some base templates like, they do sports they do um you know sci-fi western uh, superhero whatever so they have these kind of base templates and you can kind of customize the color and the look and you can add accessories you know like capes and guns and things like that and it uses it doesn't use the makerbot cuz the makerbot uses like the plastic resin stuff although they did have a makerbot there that was that was um doing stuff if you're not familiar with makerbot it's the uh 3D printing basically where it takes um it looks like weed eater line that runs into this printer and it actually just kind of melts, um, in a very, very thin layer on top. And it actually just, uh, just constructs whatever it is you put, usually in some sort of CAD 3D modeling program. But there's another machine that does the, the one bad thing about the, 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 uh, the regular plastic resin type of, of MakerBot is that the final images are a little bit rough. They're not quite as smooth as, as they are with some of the newer tech technologies and and what they use is they actually use a printer that uses a um, ceramic resin uh, to build these actual models and all the different colors so it, nothing gets painted but when it when the model comes out and it's finished um, it actually looks like uh, you know like a ceramic figure that's been painted um, and the likenesses that they're able to get on there are pretty uncanny for something that um, a is pretty cheap I mean the little ones start out at like 30 bucks for a little you know three inch and then the five inch ones are you know like f- 45 or 50 so anyway so I have a little like five six minute uh interview with the with the guy from action figure labs to talk about uh uh the process and how they go about it and it was, it was really just kind of a cool thing to to see um you know right there you know in front of you
3: can I get a mechanical arm
2: uh not that actually works an eye patch it, it wouldn't be very comfortable
3: all right no I meant for the for the action figure can um I with an eye patch you probably could.
2: You probably could, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I'll
3: have to look that up.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, they do do custom stuff, but it's kind of cool. You know, I mean, superhero stuff aside, like if you had your kid played football or baseball or basketball, you know, they've got models for that. So it'd be kind of cool. You know, you could, you could, you know, put your, you know, design the team colors of whatever, you know, sport your kid played and then, you know, slap their face on a little action figure. And it'd be kind of cool to have a little football, baseball, basketball player of your kid. Um, and have a little figure made up. So it was, do you, know, you know, did
3: did I'm sorry. Do they make like a custom uh, box of any kind? Like, did it come? Do, do you know if it comes packaged like, you know, an action figure or do they not I, do that into the the? Uh, I do
2: not know. I know I, I didn't ask them that. I know they do custom bases. So you know, the figure sits on a base, um, and, and it's either round or square or whatever. They do uh, custom bases. So if you wanted like something either. Um, larger, smaller, something printed on it, a specific design or whatever. They could do that as like an add-on. So there's a lot of stuff that that are add-ons. So if you have a, a um, like a superhero and you want to put a gun in them, that's like a quote add-on, and they charge you, you know, a couple bucks or whatever to to slap a gun on them. If your superhero you want a cape, you know, it's like that's an add-on you could put for a couple bucks. Um, you know, glasses or you know, just things like that. So I don't, I didn't ask about the packaging, but. Uh, but it's pretty cool. You can go to their website and actually, um, you know, test it out. You know, you can see all the different models they have and how you can actually customize them. They have the, the actual software on the, on the website. And like I said, it, 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 listen to the interview at the end. He'll kind of go into specifically how they, how they go about it. But it, uh, it was a pretty cool thing, you know, that, that we've come. The technology is very new. And for a technology that's that new to, to look that good is, is pretty impressive. Very cool. So yeah, so, uh, so that was that was kind of Austin Comic Con. It, uh, you know, I, th- I think that, like I said, they do a pretty good job of uh, of making it better and tweaking it every year. Uh, I-, I would like to see on the vendor side some more diversity and you know just just some more comic book related stuff. Maybe some lower end stuff instead of the high end stuff um, there. But uh, but yeah, it's it was it was a good show overall. I think the attendance was definitely up. This year from last year, Saturday was pretty crowded, but not like ridiculously crowded. Um, and, and unlike what you'd see even at like San Diego or even New York, the crowds are pretty, um, even. Like it's just as crowded in the dealer area as in artist alley, as in, you know, the celebrity area. So it really has a good cross section of, of what people are there for. Whereas a lot of times with, especially San Diego and even with New York, there's tons of people on the floor, you know, where a lot of the either vendors or studio stuff is. There's a ton of people on the panel side. And then usually Artist Alley isn't crazy. Um, you know, there's there's people there, and it's busy. But but this con, it's pretty evenly spread out, you know, as far as um, where people are at. Um,
3: all right. Are we BS'd out for the evening?
0: I think so. I'm good.
3: All right. Well, everybody, uh, check out all our stuff on hhwlod.com. We have a voicemail number, 516-468-7912, and, of course, at LODtweet, at HHWLOD underscore network, and Facebook groups apply for both of those as well. Is
2: it, uh, is it lock and
0: key next week? Hold on. I think it may be uh, the lock and key part two. Of Clockworks,
1: So that'll be a big show <laughs> as we cover uh, three issues and a little bit from uh, one of the supplemental issues. So that'll be a lot of fun. I always enjoy those episodes, although it's a lot of work to set them up, but they're always fun.
3: Yeah, and Gabriel Rodriguez has been uh, tweeting out a lot of pre-inked stuff for uh, the Omega series, so it's getting close and very exciting.
0: And he's been very kind of, uh, t- uh had a lot of kind words for our podcast on Lock and Keys, uh, on Twitter.
3: Because we're awesome.
2: It'll be Real Heroes, Episode 3, the week after Da-da-da. that, Batman and Robin.
3: Nice. Get your rubber nipples.
0: Bat cheeks.
3: <laughs> Good night, everybody.
2: I'm here with Phil from Action Figure Labs at Austin Comic Con. How are you?
4: Great. How are you doing today?
2: I'm doing fantastic, fantastic. So I came by, stopped by the booth to uh, to look at maybe getting one of these made. Yes. Um, and uh, so could you tell us a little bit, the, so the... Tell us a little bit about the company, the process, um, and what goes into making some of these custom action figures.
4: Oh, absolutely, thanks. Um, so what we do is we take your face, we take your picture, and we put it on an action figure. How we do that, we use 3D printing technology. This is advanced technology that engineers, the big companies use. We're doing it, where uh, we're, we're using that same technology to make action figures. So this is a, a, a plaster-based material that's dipped in epoxy. The idea is that using a 3D printer, we can make it, customize it to wherever we want. You can put different colors, you add different accessories, different shapes. Using our base templates, you can come online and you can go to our website and, and customize it. Or you can come out down here today using our kiosk and customize it. And then afterwards, we take your picture, and in uh, two to three weeks, you get your figure in the mail.
2: Excellent. So what? what I see you've got different sizes here. So what, how, how big and how small can you go? So we these? go,
4: we start off at 3-inch for only $30. Now we go up to a 5 inch and that starts at $50, the 7 inch starts at 90 and we can go all the way to this, we have a 9 inch, that starts at 200 and we can even do a 12 inch, that's much more expensive, that starts at 400
2: The detail is incredible, I mean even I'm looking at this 9 inch here, even the 5 inch I'm looking at, you can definitely see that's your likeness on, on the figure, it's, uh, it's pretty uncanny.
4: <laughs> well absolutely, that's, that's the power of 3D printing technology, it actually comes out of the printer fully colored, no artist's brush ever touches this, this object. Inkjet prints around the edge as it builds it up 16 microns at a time. So this is, I mean, I, I,
2: I, I'm I, kind of a technology buff myself, yeah. so I've kind of been following this, and I know that the, the, the MakerBot, the plastic-based resin stuff, has been around for four or five years-ish or so, that's correct. and this, the, the new type, what you're saying with the, the ceramics, it's been, it's very, very new.
4: Yeah, that's only been around for about three years for this particular model of printer, which gets to the much higher level of detail, much finer resolution, and 24-bit CMYK color. It's fantastic. Yeah, so... The the plastics printer is what got me into the into 3D printing, and I realized that we can make much better, much more intricate um, figures using a, a Z printer 650, which is a industrial printer. You know, Two thousand dollar printer is the MakerBot. A sixty thousand dollar printer is a Z printer 650. Yeah, yeah, yeah. big big
2: difference in yes. uh, quality and scale. That's correct. Um, so you, it looks like you guys kind of have things in general broken down by genre as far as w- what right, you right. do.
4: That's that's absolutely right. I mean, we start off with your know, superheroes, sci-fi, like Star Trek esque. Um, we've got different ones like cyberpunk. You look more like the Matrix, you know, right. with a, with a uh, gun and a jacket, uh, and all sorts of different characters. We even do are, are doing sports figures. So if you have a, a little league team, you can be uh you know you can be your your basketball, or your uh, uh, your baseball team, and and other things too. We're looking at doing wedding cake toppers. Awesome. So we're breaking up into a couple different markets.
2: Fantastic.
4: And your, your website is actionfigurelabs.com? Actionfigurelabs.com. And you guys are based out of Houston? Absolutely. Yep.
2: Excellent. Yeah, I think I saw you at uh, Comic Palooza earlier. We, we were earlier at you... Comic
4: Palooza. You... That was our first con. Ever. Awesome.
2: Wow. Do wow. Yeah, first... you think you'll be there?
4: Yeah, we're looking to be there again.
2: Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. All right, well, thanks for your time. I appreciate it.
4: Thanks. Have a good day.